Welcome everyone to a very special series of uh, podcast episodes we have for you over the next three days, which we are calling Boolean's GCAP Recap, starting with episode four, A New Hope. (laughs) What's the third one called? The third one? Yeah. Uh, The GCAP Strikes Back. (laughs) I don't know. I'm running off for two hours of sleep, as so are you, Costa. Uh-huh. So, we are over here in Melbourne. Um, a far away travel from our normal hangout of South Australia, Adelaide. Why did I say it like that? Again, <laughs> I'm on two hours of sleep. Everything hurts. Um, but we made it. 5am flight. Got to Melbourne. It's ready to speak to some game developers. And... Um, it's been good. So, basically, we're going to do a little recap every day for the next three days um, of what's been going on, who we've been talking to. Um, of course, the GCAP videos, as we all know, they come out eventually. Um, so, for now, for those that couldn't make it, we can just give you a little little scoop of what we've seen. And there's just so many events that go on, like, all at the same time. It's weird looking into your eyes. Yeah, these are... <laughs> Weird looking into my eyes. I mean, there's like four events that go on all at this, literally the same time. So yeah. it's like, even we need to watch the videos when they come out because yeah. you literally cannot make it to every single session that happens. Yeah. So for those who haven't been, it's, you know, in the Melbourne uh, Convention Center. Yeah, Convention Center. Yeah, Convention Center. Um, if, it, if I messed that up, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, there's a... It's a bunch of different conference rooms, really, and all these talks going on at the same time. Um, so, um, we went to a few today. First one we went to was show, don't tell, the intricacies of metaphors in visual media, basically the importance of symbolism in a game. We It was a panel hosted by Budge, the one name I didn't write down. Let me get this up. In the meantime, on that panel, Gameloft Brisbane's Hannah Crosby uh, from Guck, Zara Al-Zubaydi, I'm sorry if I butchered that name, um, from uh, League of Geeks, Stephanie Everett, and from Summerfall, uh, Ben E. And yeah, uh, what's that host's name, Costa? Ryan? Yes. Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon. From Playside Studios. From Playside Studios. Uh, sorry, Ryan, butchered that one. So, um, yeah, as I said, they were talking about the importance of symbolism in a game. Um, really interesting discussion. I kind of took points of what each uh, member of the panel kind of brought to it. So there was talks of deeper meaning as to why shapes evoke motions, talking about you know round shapes being safe, hard, angular shapes being... Um, dangerous why we you know lean into these looking into these design decisions um went down to uh old stories mm. coming from let's well, say most stories coming from greek mythology um the hero's journey the teacher cost is just smiling at me right now of course he's, of course he's very proud of this <laughs> um costa who tells me pizza was a greek invention kind of let me have that um yeah, and uh, also bending the rules of design language, not getting caught up in you know one particular area. Um, what each developer brings to um, 
Even the use of colors, right? The use of colors, yeah. The use of colors was super interesting. The way we associate certain colors with certain meanings and certain things, uh, but how that shifts. So one of the examples that I think it was Hannah mentioned was around how green in a certain context means health, mm-hmm. but then green also means poison in another context. So having the using the right kind of colors in the right kind of circumstances or context to uh, convey metaphors, but also just changing that up, you know, knowing what they, they mean, but then changing them up uh, on purpose to get to evoke a certain feeling from players. That was that was a really cool uh, takeaway as well. They also mentioned um, uh, in a lot of games, like players, the the character you play as being able to be many different colors, um, whereas your enemies are usually represented by a single color mm. um, to show they're a single force. And Zara, oh, I think Zara is that mm. how we say her name, but uh, mentioning how. In horror games, you see what well, kind of uncanny valley and how that's used in horror games. So, for example, uh, having you know a little a little boy or little girl, uh, little child in a horror game, and then having their teeth all mm. <clears throat> sharp and off center and kind of and it kind of throws you off and it makes something that's quite uh like a positive expectation from a player like you know to see a little child Mm. uh into something so horrific and that evokes a certain emotion so having that kind of metaphor as well yeah um yeah and uh ben e from summerfall saying um brought up the idea of neon light of, of that i guess kind of to do with uncanny valley but the unnaturalness of um uh how in their game stray gods um, they illuminate, uh, you know, characters that are meant to be gods, um, with a neon light because it's unnatural. Um, it's meant to be like illuminated by a source that doesn't exist. Um, and how these, uh, how the, the profound works mainly when you don't notice it, you kind of just accept it for as it is. I thought that one was cool because it was talking about how you have this ancient, in the in the game that they're working on is uh, having this ancient these ancient gods meeting or clashing with the modern uh, with the modern environment and the modern world and I think that's what Ben was talking about was those two clashes and seeing how that would interact uh, with you know and how the use of color and the use of lighting portrays that and that's really cool because you just see so many uh, games tend to use the same palette and tend mm. to use the same colors and tend to use the same assets and things like that. And that kind of creates this blur of everything looking the same. Yeah. So to have those differentiations between it, that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Stephanie Everett from Legend of Geeks saying... League of Geeks. What did I say? Legend. I'm sorry, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm so tired. Um, ow. Um... Yeah, saying how uh, in her role, talking about narrative design and symbolism, how it's it's tricky to put it in when your art is procedurally generated. Um, So she was more looking at how to put um, story in a prop, she was saying. So the actual items themselves, how they tell a story. Um, She also brought up an interesting point about how um, smell 
is just as an important mm. sense. And same with Phil. She was saying, you know, you can take a photo, you can, you know, be, I can't remember the exact example, but be in a grassy area and smell the grass and feel the sun and you feel can the take wind a, as well. and feel the wind. That was it. And take a photo and it not translate in the photo. Um, so as artists, as visual artists, we have to somehow find a way to, you know, convey that, convey that, draw on those um, senses. That one was super interesting because it's, it's how do you convey atmosphere and feeling into a visual format on a, on a limited, you know, on a TV screen, let's say, or on a, on whatever device you're playing it, like to, to be able to do that Mm. accurately and, and try to evoke that same feeling that you get. That was like, that's a tricky challenge that every, every designer or artist faces. Yeah, because it's also it's built on um, like experience that you know what that scene mm. is meant to smell like. Like none of us know really what a space station is going to smell like. So how do you convey dirt or grease or like natural elements? Yeah, and um, you were having a good chat with Ben afterwards about um, you were saying how do you make a game with um, when you're not when you're not an artist like myself mm. I, I don't know how to 3D model I don't know how to texture and that kind of stuff so how do you try to make a game using pre-made assets feel uh, unique and how do you kind of from an art perspective or an art, maybe of a creative direction or an art direction how can you yeah use those those assets to still be able to convey messaging and 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 that sort of stuff so yeah ben had some really great advice around making sure that there is a consistency between uh the assets whether that means tweaking them or adding detail or doing little bits and pieces to just to get the art to be more consistent um and and and, and one of the examples which i thought was really cool was he mentioned you know imagine if you had a statue a really clean model of a 3d statue and you had that in the middle of a of a forest let's say Mm. like there's some metaphor there or there's some messaging there if the well number one the statue probably wouldn't be so clean Mm. but if it was what kind of messaging would that have you know in the context like i think you mentioned like you know if you're like on an alien planet and you're walking through a jungle and you see this really clean statue like that has a certain context or certain message that uh you know so you can use it almost to advantage i'd say in that in that circumstance but yeah a lot of it around consistency and just doing little minor tweaks to kind of bring it up which is really cool because i'm you know planning on using just like pre-made assets to to prototype well, everyone does really so mm. um yeah. and he was just saying how if you can't do a lot with that one item then how does that one item interact with the what is the rest of the environment that's say? right yeah and and even uh framing like so framing. for example you know in film and tv using the frame using a you know what you see on the screen and what you see in the environment and that was something that ben actually talked about as well was for example you show you only show a certain amount visually on the screen but your brain makes up the rest of it so you show yeah. you know half a half a circle people can understand that that actually equates to a full circle off screen mm. and how you can use framing and that kind of stuff to um yeah to 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 paint a metaphor and and i think it was actually just adding to that uh hannah as well mentioned the the classic framing of a character 
against the background of a huge kind of towering city or something mm. and showing how that conveys like, like a small character yeah small at character at the start of a game that's right yeah framed it can be like the world's gonna overtake them that's they're, right they're such a small player in this world yeah that's right or, or yeah and just so much around that even even Zara mentioned how the moon in uh, Majora's Mask mm. and how that this little uh, part of the environment that's constantly there and constantly like in the background mm. and how that changes over time to uh, showcase or to kind of convey progression. Yeah. And that was talk- really cool. About that as well with um, Elden Ring and the, mm. uh, what do you call it? The Elden Tree, I think it's called. I think the, so, yeah. the big glowing gold tree. I have uh, PTSD from that game, so <laughs> I have dumped as much as I can. <laughs> But um, yeah, very great talk. Um, it would be great to you know get some of them onto the podcast at some stage and have a chat. Um, we can link all of their like Twitter and that kind of stuff as well if they've got. Yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. Um, and then moving us on to um, the prototyping. Max Art, I think the company was working. Uh, the 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 talk was winning two hundred fifty thousand dollars in thirty days. A prototype re- retrospective. This one was really cool. It was kind of in between sessions, and it was in this really relaxed mm. room with couches yeah it's a different uh different kind of environment but basically max art i think is a studio that works on a bunch of products i think for consulting and also their own products themselves um so they were talking about how they basically created a prototype for a video game in seven days and pitched that to i think it was was a screen australia Screen Queensland, Queensland maybe? Yeah. I can't remember what it was, but they received was f- funding for it. For the, from the, uh, yeah, Screen Australia, it was the fund. The, the expansion pack fund. Yeah, yeah, it just happened. Yeah, so they they, they, they won, well, they you know were granted $250,000 to work on this prototype and, and turn it into a full-fledged game. And they're talking about the different rules around that uh, that they followed to get that game out, that mm. prototype out in such a short amount of time. And the, the product was really good. Like, they had a trailer that was it looked very polished yeah. considering the game was done in seven days the trailer that they uh showed to funding body the funding body was like amazing and they kind of talked about they didn't have crunch over the seven days they worked normal times they went you know they went home when they went home they didn't they said it was just not productive your i think the metaphor they used was that it's like borrowing against a a, t- a debt collector or something, but they come back. Oh, and break your legs. Two four no. or something, yeah, something like that. Basically, it's not. There good was nothing to... about break your legs. No, no breaking your legs. I just heard debt collector and thought legs break. <laughs> break your legs. <laughs> but uh, even the other rules as well, like uh, if a feature didn't work, they just cut it because they didn't want to show unfinished features that just looked bad to mm. the uh, to the funding body. They didn't want it to break. They didn't want the prototype to break. Uh, wh- and what was uh, this game? What did it? This uh, it was Servernauts. Servernauts is the game. Yep, it was a. I think I can't remember. It was like a puzzler kind of multiplayer puzzle. Looks like a Mario Party style. Everything kind of gets yeah, yeah. Mario Party. It's like a four player esque. You're in space. You're these cute little astronauts. Like little four guys, kind of Among yeah. Us inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Characters. Um, and you know, uh, a few interesting things as well brought up with it. One was. Um, the grant submission started, if I heard them correctly, the grant submission started before the prototype actually began getting built. There was a someone working on the grant 
full time. Yeah. Well, I don't know full time, but there was it was that that was their sole job was just working the grant. I think it was a team working on the grant. Um, yeah. And they said that the, they said that the grant application was about 150 pages or something. 150 pages. Crazy. But they obviously, I think the team that worked on that grant application had an understanding of both the business side and also the game development side to be able to put together a compelling uh, grant and to just have the the uh, team doing the prototype just focus on the prototype. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, another interesting thing was that, I believe this is correct, nothing from the prototype is making it into the actual game. Yeah, they said, game. Th- they said throw the prototype away. Throw the prototype <laughs> away. Get it together as quick as you can with whatever assets you need to tell your story. And it was, I- it was all pre- pre-made assets, right? It was all pre-made assets for the most part. And, yeah, and materials. And materials and everything. And even the, uh, they even went, they, they mentioned that, and then they showed it in the gameplay footage that the actual characters were not animated. Mm. They were just moving around on the screen. No walk cycle animation, none of that. It, they just purely were yeah yeah which is crazy and actually you know on that about using assets and stuff to reference benny from summerfall from before he, ben said a lot on this panel so that's yeah. why we put him like he said basically you know if you're you know if i can shoehorn this into using asset packs or things like that he said um when you're looking for the feel of something so you start on a feeling, like when you're creating a game, you start on a feeling, you then look for reference of that feeling. So in this case, let's say different asset packs. And then when you do that, you find the pattern of why you pick those asset packs. And that pattern is the feel you're going after, which sounds, you know, pretty obvious. But when you see that written down, it's, you know, pretty, uh, pretty sobering, let's say. Start on a feeling, look for a reference and then find the pattern. And there was something there around documenting that process of why you like like you mentioned like why you did that and understanding how you came to those decisions as well yeah mm. yeah so very very good uh, talk again uh, what was that one called again right uh, winning 250,000 in 30 days of prototype retrospective and another thing i just add really quickly yeah. on that one was was max art mentioning that there needs to be uh, a great marketing plan for these mm. because they they want to know if, funding bodies want to know fundamentally that you can well the, the idea is great, number one. Uh, you can build it and you're dependable and you're not going to flake out to make it. And then the third part being that uh, uh, that they, you have a marketing plan, that you know what your market is, there's a business plan behind it. And they mentioned that uh, there's a great marketing plan template from Screen Queensland as well. Mm. So check that one out as well. Yeah. The next topic, well, talk... Uh, the next talk. Uh, well, how about we? Uh, what about some of the stalls? Some of the stalls, yeah. Well, there was some some cool stalls set up yeah. uh, just outside the the, the conference uh, halls. Mm. A few of them that we visited. The lobby. The lobby. Yeah, yeah. the lobby. <laughs> A few of them that we visited was Amazon Web Services, Playside, and uh, Keyword Studios. Mm. So, what happened with Amazon? What do you What did you think? That was pretty cool. So. Um, uh, those in the game world may not, you know, be quite across it. Amazon Web Services. Those in the startup tech world will be very across Amazon Web Services. It's basically Amazon that we know have a bunch of servers all around the place, and traditionally are you know used with startups. They usually make deals with startup hubs or things like that to give the startups um, cheap server space. And they've moved into this year, moved into games. Um, 
so you know they're looking into finding so they said small beginning teams that are starting out to small teams they're looking how to you know any anything that you need a server for anything you need a computer for basically bringing it over there i imagine it would be i know they mentioned like multiplayer i'm pretty sure but it could probably even go to i don't know maybe render farms mm-hmm. or things like that um just just even starting on with amazon web services and then if you have the idea that you need to scale, mm. being able to do that quite easily. Yeah. And, um, yeah, interesting hearing, you know, them in, as uh, Amazon Web Services, new players in the games. But then there's um, uh, Amazon Games, right? Yeah, Amazon Games that, that worked on uh, New World. New World. So they were showcasing New World there. I mean, Amazon Games wasn't there. It was Amazon mm. Web Services for games, but they had sh- uh, New World on Showcase, uh, they also we also spoke to them about uh, Amazon Lumberyard, which is the Amazon game engine, uh, which has now been renamed to Open 3D Engine, and I think that's actually an open source engine now, uh, which with a lot of support behind it now from a bunch of different companies as well. So, yeah, a lot of stuff and cool to see Amazon pushing into that space. Mm. Yeah, really, and really nice guys. Yeah. We got free shirts as we well. Got free t-shirts, yeah. This isn't why we're, we're not we're, sponsored. We're not sponsored, yeah. <laughs> uh, Playside, we spoke to them about uh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, we got some free plushies from them. We did. Uh, and some socks. Yeah, and some socks. Age of Darkness was the game that. That's it. Uh, we were talking to them about. It's a game that uh, I think has just gone into. Is it? It's either released on Steam or I think it's gone into beta at the moment. I might, yeah, I think it's getting released. But if you're heading to PAX, if you're listening to this and you're heading to PAX check, into the week, they're check. going to be there with um with the game. Check it out, definitely. And let me just look up the release date of that really quick while we're here. And it was a really fun kind of uh, RTS game that was. It was an RTS game that was kind of like Souls-like. I mm. think is the word. Like it's out now on Steam. Oh, it's out now right now on Steam. So it's a, it's a Souls-like RTS, I believe it is. It's kind of you, you obviously learn. You, it's a it's a hard game to master, but you learn from it, and you just kind of keep keep going on it. Uh, yeah. We haven't, we didn't, we didn't get to play it, unfortunately, but we got to see some gameplay footage of it. Yeah, um, very pretty. You know, it kind of reminds you of like uh, uh, Diablo style. Mm. Like it's that you know RTS side that you know, three three D perspective. Uh, what do you call it asymmetric asymmetric yeah angle and there was also another game there uh, first person shooter oh yes I don't know the, I can't remember the name of it yeah it's it was very pretty um, very colourful yeah let me was. let me look that up um, um, Costa you got a joke for our audience while I find this but uh, these plushies were really cool. <laughs> these plushies were really cool. <laughs> they, were, they were giving them away. There was like one that uh, there was a bunch of them that were like you could squeeze them and they, yeah, they said things that had a speaker in them. Um, um, they and they were all you know dumb ways to die. Yeah, merch. I think uh, Playside has the rights to. They, I think they purchased the rights to dumb ways to, uh, dumb ways to die, which was originally from uh, a government agency in Victoria, I believe. Which was kind of crazy. Really? Yeah. Kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's play side. If you want to check out that game, Alex has failed us, so you I can look sorry. it up on the website. I've, I've been looking at the... We'll go from there. The the mobile games are theirs. Keyword Studios. Hmm. Specifically, I spoke to uh, someone from, from Mighty Games, 
which is now part of Keyword Studios, about AI-powered QA testing running, which was which was crazy because if you looked at the, uh, you saw the the video footage on the screen there. Yeah. Did you realize that was real time? No, I didn't. That was re- that was running on a, on a few Mac Minis that were hidden underneath the table, and they were actually running multiple clients of of uh, mobile games that they that uh, Mighty Games has developed. World Boss. World Boss is that the was the name of the game, the, okay. the shooter game. Play side. Um, Very sorry, but yeah, it was a powered AI powered QA testing, and it was basically running multiple versions of the game of this mobile game and running QA testing, like all automated, all running on different behaviors that the players might be like, and it just yeah, it was just like a crazy thing. And, and when we had him on, I asked um, Steve Bromley. Oh yep yep yep. We had Steve that. Bromley on. Yeah, yeah. We spoke about user research testing, but this was this was quite this. I think this this AI powered testing was quite functional, like from a QA like a quality assurance perspective. But I I did ask I did ask about like whether feedback would be like user testing would be something they'd look into. But obviously it's quite hard to yeah. do that. But at least this saves them time and effort to then move on to that mm. quite quickly because if they can just run some of this you know like at night let's say they run this game at night at two times the speed or something i don't know if that's possible but that that allows them to smash out qa testing in a fraction of the time versus um having a whole qa team that has to all play through it and has to you know cross these uh you know tick these boxes for functional testing and all this kind of stuff so Mm. really cool hoping to get them on the podcast soon that would be great and the final thing that we went to Mm. Was the um, Unreal Engine talk. The do's, don'ts, and key concepts in switching to Unreal Engine by, by Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy, the one, the only, the gun. Um, Yeah, great as always. I'm sold. You're sold. So I've... I'm switching to Unreal. He's switching to Unreal. I've been preaching it. I am, I'm very happy. I just didn't want to switch because it was Alex that was saying it. But now <laughs> I think I'm switching. To be fair, if someone like me recommended you something, I, I can see why you'd be skeptical. But I always say, I don't understand, to, to the people listening in Adelaide, I do not understand why Adelaide is not a Unreal Engine town. That thing has everything out of the box. Unity, you're, you're, you have to wrestle with it. I know, there's a lot of programmers who love Unity. That's great, that's cool. But there's also, you know, C++ coding in um, Unreal under the hood and stuff like that. But there's, you know, Chris Murphy is always was just wonderful racing through it yeah. mile a minute I, I tried to get some notes on that but it was there was just so much there There's some of the some of the things that I noted down like because I again I had no idea about Unreal like I know some stuff but looking at Perforce in Engine how that works mm. um, how you can do you know forking and merging and the the, the, the diffs that you can do with uh, Blueprints and C++ the difference between Blueprints and C++ and what that means and when to use them and when to not use them uh Things like the Unreal Turnkey system, which is a system in UE5 that automates most of the steps required to set up platform support and like finding source files, installing SDKs and everything. Mm -hmm. Just really cool things that are built in from the get-go that speed up the process to get someone set up in Unreal. Mm. Um, And a lot of it as well was talking about, Chris mentioned that so much stuff in there that's like not enabled by default. Yeah. Like there was one that was... uh, the, I think it was the, uh, the game. I think these are the gameplay ability system. Yeah, gas. 
gas, right? Which has like abilities, tasks, attributes, effects, and all so these. So it's if you're, it's like a whole RPG library. Yeah, if you're, if you've, uh, the example he gave was if you were trying to program, like you know, a, a character gets poisoned or yeah. something like that, but has this health stack and how it. That was crazy. Like yeah. to me, that's like that's a whole library that you would have to or plugin that you'd have to purchase for. for and 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 they said, in, you know, Unreal being incredibly open with their software as they are, Chris even said, you know, even if this doesn't convince you, just take a look because the code is all there, the blueprints yeah, yeah. all there. Just open it up and take a look at just what. Just copy they did. the code that basically he was saying. Yeah, he's like, you can just have a look at it and just pillage it. He said. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like the concept of like one file per actor and how that reduces a lot of uh, la- not latency but a lot of like file sharing and like conflicts and things like that um, when when you're uh, working collaboratively with other people yeah. in your team. Which is something I've used before uh, with my old team. Um, which yeah, it means uh, file updates are done. You know, on you know a lot of it is done on on like the map. There's like a map file, and you just have to update that to update the placement if you haven't imported a new asset in um and that works with source control of course because even in in unity when i when i did it we were doing we were using unity collab which i don't think is i don't think is really used now but back then it was like every time you make an update to a to an asset uh, a scene you'd have to check the changes and like there was no real diff like mm. the diff uh to, to to compare the two to find out which one did what and and who did what so they would you'd end up in this thing where someone would merge and then mm. like it would destroy the other one and it was just this back and forth yeah and you could choose to not override it as you said you know if someone's really good at placing barrels you go uh leave his barrels there leave yeah, their barrels right. there let's yep, say yep yep and uh the other thing was the oh well, this was really cool which hasn't been revealed publicly but it was the game play framework like this big schematic i mean the gameplay framework is there the concept of how, like a general flow of how games work that are developed in Unreal. Mm. Uh, so having things like, I can't remember what the terminology was. It was like a, it was like a class. I can't remember it was a class and like the pawn mm. and how the logic can be flipped, uh, swapped out, and you can have the AI written in, basically like the the framework mm. and the structure in which something can be developed quite easily and is quite modular, mm. and basically saying that this is the way to go unless like. Unless you have some real interesting and like solid reason, you shouldn't probably um, do it differently. Yeah, but that was that was awesome, and this 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 schematic was just crazy. Like when we, when this comes out, it would be awesome to see because it really had a cool visual breakdown of it. And for anyone who's listening in front who who does use Unreal, and they're like, yeah, we know, we know. Remember, this talk was about switching to Unreal Engine. Yeah, and and when it, what you're hearing is the excitement of going, oh my god, <laughs> Unreal does this out of the box. Yeah, and UMG again not sponsored. Yeah, UMG as well was another one we're looking at uh, that they that he showed off as well. Mm. I, again, I'm not aware of like the UI system and just uh, common UI as well for Unreal and how that has animation support and how you can uh, update styles and mm. they propagate across the board fonts and colors and things like that, which was kind of cool. Mm. And just a whole bunch of on localization and internet internationalization and how you can export. Um, but yeah, that was my kind of takeaway from that. Really cool introduction that's how you know this is where actual game devs that's my discord <laughs> going off it was, it was awesome I, I really enjoyed that one so we're going to do these over the next uh, you'll be getting them in the morning so the next three mornings um, listen out for oh we're going to have a problem with an episode clashing we'll have a, a cafe coming out on Thursday and we'll have this coming out 
Um, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> don't listen if you don't want to. Listen to the live. I mean, cafe. Anyway, we are gone well over 30 minutes. This was only meant to be a 15 minute thing. Uh, tomorrow might be shorter. We're just very excited. Nah, you know what? There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. A lot to cover. Um, thank you, everyone. And we'll see you soon. See ya.